Welcome to the Faith Christian Church podcast. Make sure to follow us on Instagram at Faith Christian Church, or even find us on Facebook. Feel free to follow for more episodes that are soon to release. Thank you, God bless, and happy listening. Okay, so take your time, get a hold of that little booklet called, How Did We Get the Bible? Uh, another thing I'd like to announce is uh, we had a couple people say that they're, you know, they're, they're recording these so that you can listen back to them on your own. And that's great. If you want to do that, you, you know, that's wonderful. We are recording them and they are going to be uploaded tomorrow morning onto our podcast site, which I think is Apple podcast and whatever we used to do for loading our podcasts. They're going to be loaded on there. So you can go back and hear them again and again. Uh, Dan Chubikowski, raise your hand, Dan. He's the guy loading them up. And uh, you can talk to Dan about how to do that if you need to. So, all right. And then the last uh, kind of announcement we'd like to share with you is, of course, uh, the rhythm that we've tried to get into here with our Wednesday nights is to do some teaching for a few weeks, not long enough to to bore you or bury you, but long enough to hopefully communicate something of value. And then we're going to get together for our small group nights for a few weeks. And that should give you an opportunity to talk about what you learned and work through some things, which we're going to uh, see tonight, I think will be helpful. But what that really provokes us to do is come up with questions. Now, I love questions. So if you have questions, I can try to answer them here tonight. But the idea is if you get questions, something crosses your mind, you think, you know, what about that? I wonder how that would speak to this issue. Write that down. Make a note of it somewhere. Go to your small group. It's going to make great discussion opportunities to say, when he was talking about this, I was thinking about that. What about that? It'll be a great opportunity to decide, uh, to discuss, and uh, to come up with, you know, what God really has to say for us as we work at these areas of life. So tonight, would you join me in a prayer? Uh, Let's pray uh, for a couple of things. And tonight, I did forget. We do have offering baskets in the back of the building. Uh, And uh, if you brought your offering tonight, uh, you can get up. We'll pray. We'll give you a break. You can get up and put your offering in that. And uh, I'm sorry for the ushers. Last week I didn't think I did. This week I did forget. But if you brought your offering tonight, we'll, we'll pray for our offerings as well. But let's also pray that God speaks to us in this time of study. Would you join me, please? Our dear Father, tonight we come before you and we thank you for the word of God. As we come to this moment in our service, we pray that you would help us and give us the gift of understanding. Uh, Solomon prayed for one thing when you offered him whatever he wanted. He wanted wisdom and you were pleased with that desire. We want wisdom tonight. So be pleased to grant it to us that we would be people of the book, that we would properly interpret the book and that we would look like Jesus as we walk the Bible out. We also commit our offerings tonight to you if we brought them and we bring them to God and ask you to receive them as we give them in Jesus' name. And we all said, amen. All right. All right, tonight we are going to read, uh, we'll just read two scriptures, 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 15. And then we'll read 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 16. And this is the scripture of 2 Timothy 2. Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved. Everyone say approved. 
who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. So the idea is that all of us, especially those of us who are in any sort of serving leadership ministry, should be working hard to be approved by God handling the Bible accurately. And that's really important. Uh, so that, that would be number one. If you can handle it properly, it certainly goes to say that you can handle it improperly. And uh, so we don't want to do that. We want to be working and studying the Bible so that we can do better uh, as, as Jesus did. And we will get better ourselves. Second Peter 1. Verse 16, we have not followed cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. We were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For when he received honor and glory from God the Father and the voice was borne to him by the majestic glory, quote, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this very voice born from heaven. For we were with him on the holy mountain, and we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed. That meant we have the Bible that we can trust was prophesying of the coming of Christ. We have it confirmed. We saw and we heard it ourselves. To which, to which, what? The Bible, you will do well to pay attention as a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Knowing this, first of all, no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy ever was produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. So those are a couple of our scriptures tonight. And I think last week we talked quite a bit, and I gave you a lot of information about how we got the Bible, manuscripts, manuscripts, translations, things like that. Tonight we're going to get into a little bit more about what to do with our Bible. And I want to start right off by, uh, with this statement and giving us some tools. Number here's a statement. How, our question, how do we determine God's will from the Bible? How do we determine God's will from the Bible? Now, when I ask that question, I'm, I'm thinking about a specific will about a specific subject. We're going to do a couple sample ones here tonight just to have some fun with it. But, but all of us have questions. You know, we, we sing a song about they have questions and you're the answer. The world's full of questions. How do we know? What is God's will? You bring up a subject you can find God's will from the Bible. But it isn't always, uh, and I'll tell you what it never is, it's never just close your eyes, thumb through the pages of the Bible and stick your finger, got my answer. It does take a little work. Now there are church denominations and that, that will tell you that studying the Bible, interpreting the Bible is not for the lay person. That should be left to pastors and trained people. You should just listen to what they say and be dependent upon their learning. I would disagree with that. Um, I would say that anyone should be able to determine God's will from the Bible. That being said, there is great value in having leaders and people that you can go to who are studied and who work at it. So, so there's a balance there. But we can determine God's will from the Bible. How do we do it? So I have a simple guide that we're going to look at tonight, and it is this. Use this guide as a tool. If you're going to write anything down from this class or remember it, remember these three points. Number one, there are three 
there are three steps to finding God's word in the Bible. Number one, what's the issue? And then ask yourself this question. Is there a direct commandment in scripture that addresses this issue? Everyone say direct commandment. That's the first thing. If there's a direct commandment in the Bible, eh, you kind of got your answer pretty quick. All right. Number two, is there a clear example? Is there a clear example, either good or bad example? If somebody did something bad and God was really displeased with it, that would be an example too. Is there a clear example? Because sometimes there's not a direct commandment. I made a silly statement last week when the people challenge obvious things in the Bible. I said, well, the Bible doesn't tell you to brush your teeth or comb your hair or, you know, so how do you know you should do that? Well, a direct commandment, number two, a clear example, and then number three, an inference. Everyone's saying inference. Okay, so you're going to want to remember those. Each of these, one, two, and three, should be taken on a sliding scale of importance. Okay? I want you to remember, we're going to work at it, but they should be taken on a sliding scale of importance. In other words, a direct commandment would hold more weight than an example, and an example would hold, hold more weight than an inference. Okay? Just, just follow that through. So, everybody got the three? Think you got it figured out. All right. So, we're going to talk about some tonight, kind of fun. We'll start with silly ones, we'll come up with more obvious ones, and then we'll leave you with some more complicated ones that you can go home and uh, talk with each other about. So, uh, first of all, let's do a simple one. Almost silly. We've all heard the stories. There's a 0.1.001% of the world's population has all the money in the world. And all the rest of us are poor and paupers and you know how that whole thing goes. So, hey, I'm really poor. That guy over there is a billionaire. He doesn't need all those cars and I don't have one. God surely cares about me. That guy's a devil worshiper. God wants me to have a car, and he has extras. I'm going to go help myself. Is that the will of God? Well, it makes sense, though. Doesn't God care for the poor? Does God promise to provide for all my needs? Aren't those things in the Bible? I'm, I'm playing with you here, but you're, you know, let, let's not just rush through it. Okay, so God cares for the poor. The wealth of the sinner is laid up for the just. That's what the Bible said in the book of Proverbs. I know you know the answer, but how could we determine if my preface is God's will? Is there a, number one, Command. direct commandment? Yes. Where would you find that? Exodus. Exodus. What, where are we at? I heard it. Exodus. Thou, Exodus 20, 20, and it says, thou shalt... Let's say it together. Thou, thou shalt not steal. One of the Ten Commandments. Direct commandment and a real serious one because it says that God himself carved it in the stone wall of Mount Sinai with his finger. Pretty serious about that one. Would you agree? So no, I don't go get to steal the billionaire's car and drive it along and say God told me to have it. So... 
don't have to do a lot more searching than that to determine God's will. He doesn't want me to steal from people. That's a direct commandment. Even if it seems unfair, on and on it goes. All right, so that's a silly one. You knew the answer to that one and, you know, all of that. Evidently, there, there are people and governments of the world, communism is based upon the theory that it should be equal for everyone, and that's not my point, but that's another world. All right, let's do another example tonight. And this is easy. It's an easy conclusion, but I think you'll be surprised when it's not as simple as you might think. Who here has ever been sick and gone to a doctor for treatment? Raise your hand. Everybody, probably. Probably a number of us, had we not gone to doctors for treatment, at some point in time wouldn't be here tonight. But that, that's probably very true. I hope you realize that there are Christians and religious people that believe that medical science is ungodly. And that Christians, I see some heads nodding, that Christians that go to them are actually compromising their faith to actually go to the doctor. Now, I don't believe that, but I've, I've heard it. I've have, I have members of our extended family that go to churches that would rather see people die than get a medical treatment because they believe it's a compromise of their faith. I totally disagree with that. However, what's the real history behind that? Before we ask ourselves, how do we determine God's will from the Bible? Because unlike thou shalt not steal, there is no direct commandment in the Bible about going to a doctor or not. Are you with me on that? No direct commandment? Let's look at the history of the Israelite people and where that thought came from. Exodus 15, 26 said, if you will diligently hearken to the voice of the Lord, be careful to obey all of his statutes, do all the things that I tell you to do. If you do that, God said, I will not put upon you any of the diseases that I put upon the Egyptians. That's in the book of Exodus because Moses was leading people out of Egypt. They crossed the Red Sea. They no more than got across the sea and God told them this. Be careful to obey what I tell you. I won't put any of those diseases on you. That the, Remember the Egyptians? They got sores. They got plagues. They got all those things in, in, in Egypt. God said, I won't do that. And then here's the phrase you all know. For I, the Lord, am your physician. If you've ever heard the phrase in the Bible, Jehovah Rapha. I am that I am your physician. So why did he say that? Egypt, according to archaeological study, was actually very advanced in medical science. Ancient Egypt. Ancient Egypt connected all their medicine with all of their idols, idol, idols and false gods. But they had advanced medicine. Uh, scientists and archaeologists have shown they, used, they did minor surgeries. They did surgeries on the human eye back in ancient Egypt with small obsidian flakes and they had documented things when they discovered the Rosetta Stone. They unlocked the hieroglyphic language and they could study all these things. They did minor surgeries inside bodies. They did eye surgery, even some forms of brain surgery they attempted. And they had their physicians. Their physicians were dedicated to their weird Egyptian gods. Their physicians promised to keep the Egyptians well. And when God said, I'm going to plague you with things, 
it was a judgment against their gods. Is that making sense? Okay. So then follow that along. The Israelites in Egypt, they had no access to Egyptian physicians. None. They didn't. They were slaves. They had no doctors. And the Egyptians had all the clinics, and they had nothing. And when they left Egypt, Egypt was in ruins. And God said, don't worry. If you follow me and listen to me, I'll make sure that none of those diseases come upon you. I will be your physician. Jehovah Rapha. That's the basis. God said, I want to be your physician. That's the basis where these people say, you can't go to a doctor. God wants to be your physician. They're right about the second part of the statement. God does want to be our physician. Read through Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. If you take away the stories of Jesus healing people, you have pretty small books. Right? He did a lot of healing. I am that I am your physician. Fast forward to our year today. Our, what should we do? Should we just say, okay, God's our physician. We better not go to a doctor. That's what those people say. How do we determine from Scripture? Direct commandment? No. Examples with a clear conclusion? Not really. I mean, that Egyptian story was history, and it was the basis for, I am that I am your physician. But there's no clear, there's no clear God saying, you did this wrong, so... He just told them, put me first. So what do we have? If we have no commandment, no clear example, we have inference. How about Colossians chapter 4 in verse 14? I'm not sure that we have it on the screen here, but somebody look it up and, and read it to me here tonight. Colossians 4. Verse 14. Luke, our beloved physician, and Demas greet you. Okay. Luke, the beloved physician, and Demas send their greetings. Now, this is in the part of the Bible where Paul's giving his greetings. And so-and-so greets so-and-so. You, you've read through those, and you go, okay, kind of done with the real meat of the Bible, right? So I don't care about that. It's in the greeting. No one was more true to the word of God and God and more of an idealist than Paul the Apostle. Would you agree he was a zealot? He knew every part. He was a Pharisee of Pharisees, he called himself. He knew the Bible. He knew all of that history. And if physicians, modern physicians, Luke was a Greek, not a Jew. If modern physicians were connected to ancient Egyptian idolatrous physicians, would Paul have said, Luke, the beloved physician? That's like saying, John, the heroin dealer, sends his greeting. <laughs> you might say, John, remember him? He was a drug dealer, but now he's, right? He's a Christian. So-and-so, you could, what I'm trying to get, that's an inference. I'm giving you an example of an inference. What does it infer? If physicians were bad, would Paul have wrote in his letter and called him, present tense, a beloved physician? No. He would have did that. That's nonsense. If Paul thought physicians were ancient Egyptian idolaters, 
Paul would have said, Luke sends his greeting. Remember him? What a testimony he has. He was a physician, but now he repented. Now he trusts God alone. Why didn't he say that? Because that's not modern physicians and ancient Egyptian physicians are not the same. Amen. All right, <laughs> follow me. So what did we do? We went from direct commandment, nothing there. Examples, hmm. Inference. Inference of scripture, we have Luke, the beloved physician. But we're going to take tonight, we're going to look at one more step of interpreting the will of God from the Bible, and that is find out all of the, what the Bible says. Don't just pick a couple scriptures. Find out more. So there's an example. I believe it's 1 Kings, might be 1633. I'm not sure, but it's the story of King Asa. King Asa was one of those kings where, if you ever read the book of Kings and it goes through, the, Asa did this and that, and it was, he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, and then it said, accept that. Well, Asa had no accepts. He was a great king, but there was one except. It said, in his latter days, he was afflicted with a disease in his feet. They think it was gout. And Asa did not seek the Lord, but sought to the physicians of Canaan, and Asa died. That is an example, but the inference was he didn't want God. He wanted the, the pagan physicians from Canaan. He said he died. Not a good example. I do have, uh, so follow me so far. I want you to think this through. I don't want you to just, whatever you say, Pastor Paul, I don't want you to assume something. James chapter 5, verse 16. Is any of you sick? This is pretty direct commandment. Let him call for the elders of the church. Let them pray over them, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And even if he's committed sins, they will be forgiven him. That's a direct quote of the New Testament. Factoring in all those scriptures, I'm going to tell you what I believe and what I think we should believe. I think we make mistakes by going to physicians before we even give God a chance. I don't think putting Jesus first is ever going to get you in trouble. Now, does that mean you can't take an aspirin without you know, praying and waiting for 24 hours? No, that's not what I'm saying. But if I had something serious, and I've had plenty of them, and a lot of you have been here, I'm right up here saying, I want to be anointed with oil. Why? Because I'm, doing, I'm giving God first crack before I go in and I, I try everything possible only to find out the doctors say there's nothing I can do. Will you pray for me? How about pray first? I think that's a good conclusion from putting all these scriptures together. We kind of threw them all at you. Now, I know that this isn't like life or death matter. I'm trying to give you an example because there are other issues like that. And it's important to take some care and not come to a crazy conclusion uh, of what God really wants with us. So I would say, if you're sick, pray first, not as a last resort. If it's not going well, I mean, my wife was, woke up real early in the night, Tuesday morning, not feeling well, probably has influenza, miserable, the whole thing was not good. So you know what I did? <laughs> I'm 
feeling around in the dark in our bedroom for my little bottle of oil. I said, honey, we're going to kick this thing out right now. What are you doing? We're gonna, I'm going to anoint you with oil. She's in the dark bedroom. I'm rubbing oil on her head. In the name of Jesus, we are taking... Uh, you can laugh about it, but I'd rather pray first than let her be sick for two weeks and come back to you and say, please pray for Doreen. She's so sick she can't live. Why not pray first? And if she was sick and my prayer's not getting answered, I'd go right to the doctor. they get her help. Because today, the vast majority of medical science is just that. It's science. I don't know if we have our doctors here tonight. It doesn't look like it. But true doctors will tell you that in their theory and education, they are taught that they don't heal people. The healing process of the human body is a mystery and a wonder that they cannot make happen. They enable the body to heal itself. They remove things that don't work. They correct problems. They repair damage. But only the mystery, they would say, of the human healing process, we would say God himself. So modern medical science is not in opposition to the Bible. Would I go to a witch doctor who has a shrunken head on his door and said that if you come to me in practice, I'll offer a sacrifice to the devil and take some of the blood that I sacrificed and put it over your wound and you'll be healed? No, I'd rather die first. Well, I'm just telling you. I mean, I know those are examples you're not going to do, but are you following me? I mean, these things do matter. If, if none of this matters, then just come to church and let somebody else do all your thinking for you. But you don't want that. You want to be able to interpret God's will from the Bible. All right? So how about questions? Any questions about that? We'll take a, a question or two. I have another subject, but we'll take a moment. Anybody? Question, comment? That's what they believe. When they say, when I say they... Bible scholars, Jewish archaeologists, said he was diseased in his feet. Gout was called the disease of kings because they ate so much meat and nobody else could afford it and they often wouldn't eat anything but meat. They were the no-carb kings way back then. And uh, if you don't balance your diet, you can get a buildup of uric acid, which is gout, and you can get in big trouble. Yes, yes. Not in place of, no. Direct commandment, thou shalt not steal. I don't need to be praying anymore about anything. No, don't do it. Example, examples. How often should a church have communion? That's a big question. The Roman Catholics have communion every single time they have a mass. We have it about once a month. There are churches that have communion twice a year on Passover and one other day. Who's right? No commandment. Jesus said, as often as you do it. Doesn't that imply you get to pick? Yeah. So there's no commandment. Is there an example? Well, the example was they broke bread together and ate their meals together from house to house. Probably more often than less often. You see what I'm saying? It's not a direct commandment. So this is what churches do. You do realize this. They go and say, oh, 
Bible says right here, you have to do it this way. All these other churches are wrong. Our church is the only one right. You need to come to our church. They're the devil's church. And it's just, just not a good way. But giving you, I'm giving you a little protocol in your life for how to interpret God's will from the Bible. Any other questions about that? Yes, sir. Good point. Well, he asked about the COVID precautions and, you know, God will take care of me. I don't need to take precaution. So I would say two things. Number one, COVID is a hard example because right from the start, after about seven days of actual learning about it, it became a political argument. And it was just one people finding ways to get mad at other people. But it... You know, it's reasonable and considerate. The Bible says prefer one another. I did some mask wearing. I wasn't the big king of masks. It didn't do a lot for me. I didn't, wasn't sure how much good it would do, but I did it. And you know why? Because the Bible says prefer one another above yourself. And there are people that it meant a lot to. And you know what? Great. And secondarily, I don't want anybody to get sick. I had COVID. I was really sick. I don't want to share that with anybody. That would be mean. So do what you will. But in any case, love one another. Be considerate of others. Those are things that would be that. But, you know, if you feel like, you know, I just, I have faith. I can go into uh, somebody's room that has smallpox and, you know, it won't matter. I know it doesn't exist anymore. If I want to do that, I can do that. I have faith. Well, then I guess take the chances. I don't know. I'm just... Just make sure that it's real faith and not just John Wayne cowboy Christianity. And there's, you know, that's my thought. I don't think God values that so much. All right. Um, we're going to go on to another thought. But uh, there, is, there is an issue uh, that is much more difficult for churches to process. Uh, what about the scriptures that talk about women being in ministry? I'm not going to tackle that all tonight. But I will tell you this, and it leads us into our next discussion. There are scriptures in the Bible that, well, the next discussion is this. When you're considering an issue in the Bible, do not just pick one or two scriptures, and that's the only ones that you look at in the Bible, even if they're clearly written. If there's two scriptures that say one thing and 50 examples that say another thing, it's entirely possible that we're missing something. I believe that to be true about the woman question. There are two scriptures in the Bible, and if we, no church practices them, because you'd be mean. You'd have to have ushers with duct tape for every woman's mouth, because it says clearly, let the women keep silent in the church and not speak. Yeah. Amen. <laughs> You're going to get yourself in more trouble than you're ready for here tonight. <laughs> Why do you think I don't want to do this all tonight? Um, yeah. Women keep silent in the church. I don't allow a woman to speak. I don't allow her to do anything. She should be clothed with shamefacedness. King James shamefacedness. You know what that is? You meet a man, you don't look him in the eye. That's Muslim stuff. So here's the question. Those are two. 
Jesus practiced no such thing. And we think, wait a minute. Are we missing something? The issue of head coverings? Women have to have head, something covering their head when they pray. You're acting really naive, but you've all heard this, and you've been in churches where people tell you to do that stuff. Paul wrote that. Paul was Jewish, a Pharisee. Some of you have been to Israel with us. You go to the Western Wall where you're going to pray at a holy Jewish site. They don't make the women cover their heads. They make the men cover their heads. Because the Jews say a man in God's presence should cover his head, symbolizing he's under God's authority. So what was Paul saying? I don't know. And I don't think anybody does. Certainly, it was important in the Corinthian culture. It doesn't appear to be important anywhere else. Jesus took with him to minister his 12 apostles and about eight important women as his ministry team. Those important women weren't just cooking and cleaning. They were providing the funds for his ministry and went and ministered. And when he rose from the dead, who did he tell to go and tell the people about his resurrection? The women. So if Jesus was that, are you seeing there's a, there's a problem? My problem, trust me, I've had, I've had so many people telling me all the things I'm wrong about through the years that, you know, the guy that wanted all the Chinese people to learn English so they could read the King James Bible and then they could go to heaven. Uh, it was also talked to me, you can't have, women cannot be in church if so much as their wrists are showing. And if you see a dress that's above an ankle, the woman is immoral and you're enabling that. And he went on and on and on. And women need to be absolutely silent. And I just, I was listening to this guy. And he's like, I am so sick of this. But just happened to be reading my Bible one day. Not thinking about that at all. Romans 16, verse 1. Phoebe, a servant of the church who is at Centuria, sends her greeting to you. When she comes your way, Paul said, assist her in whatever business she has need of you. Paul was writing to Roman Christian church leaders who were mostly probably men. Phoebe was a woman. She was a servant, the word is diakonos, a spiritual leader of the church at Centria. And Paul said, whatever business she has, men of Roman church, you assist her. Does that sound like put duct tape over her mouth and shut up and put something over your head? No. Even Paul must have been speaking about something different than, than we perceive it to be. I don't know if I'm helping you, but it should be helping you because this, there, there are issues that give us some room to figure out for ourselves. So we have two scriptures that tell us what to do and dozens of examples where even the people that wrote it didn't do it. What about this? I got invited several times to take a missions trip to Pakistan. Who wants to go? <laughs> Pakistan's a very Muslim country, very, very unfriendly to Christians. I get these Facebook buddies, they, they just hook me up all the time. Pastor Paul, you should come over to Pakistan. I'm thinking, I'm not even sure you're a real person, you know, but to Pakistan is not like rolling out a red carpet for evangelical Christianity. It's an extreme Muslim country. If we did go to Pakistan on a mission trip and we took men and women along, do you know what you'd be wearing, ladies? At least if you want to come home alive, 
you'd be wearing coverings on your head and coverings over your faces. Why? Because that's what they do there. And you can fight that if you want, but not a good idea. Maybe there was something going on in Corinth at the time that that's what Paul was referring to. Because it wasn't Jewish. Jews had no such custom. All I'm telling you is it was likely something more cultural than universal. I'm not sure I'm making any friends tonight, but I hope... Uh, <laughs> I think that churches all across this country believe this or they would not let women speak at all. But they're just afraid to address it at all. And I think it's okay to address it. I would say that in the context of a home and marriage, if you're going to marry a husband, women, then in your home and marriage, your husband has the authority and the final say. And if you don't like that, don't get married. Stay single, great. But that I would stick to as a direct commandment. The example of women ministering, Mary Magdalene, Mary, the other Mary, Salome, the Salome, um, you can go down a big list. They were all famous Christian leaders in their day. Phoebe, others, Aquila and Priscilla were both teachers of the word of God. Paul used Aquila and Priscilla usually, but sometimes he said Priscilla and Aquila. That would be like saying Paul and Becca, Becca and Paul. Paul and Doreen, Doreen and Paul. Who's, who's, who's pastoring? Paul and Doreen, Doreen and Paul. You wouldn't say both names interchangeably unless they were both preaching. That's example. So, I bet you'll talk about that in your small groups. So, we'll, we'll leave that one go just a little bit. All right? A couple of thoughts. Important. And we use them already in these studies. Before taking one scripture on a subject... Please look up all the scriptures that speak to the subject. Everyone say, look up all. Before you just go off on your horse riding into the sunset feeling like you've solved all the problems because you found your scripture, look them all up. Okay, realize there's more to be said than just one thing. And if you're listening to somebody preach and they're harping away on that one scripture and it really sounds great, ask yourself, hey, before I make some radical adjustment here, what does the rest of the Bible say? I, through the years, have listened to so many things. People say, well, so-and-so said this, and it's great. And I thought, do these people ever read the Bible? That's not the, all the Bible says. There's lots more things in there about these subjects. Be diligent to present yourself a workman approved by God, handling the word of God correctly. Learn to use the tool of context in interpreting scripture. We're going to talk about that next week. The tool of context. People will say, well, context just means read the whole thing. That's just a very small part of it. But we'll talk about that. And then deal carefully with the problem scriptures that don't seem to make sense, like the woman don't speak at all. Deal carefully with those. Don't just read them and go, oh, okay. That's like reading along in the Old Testament and think, well, it talks about animal sacrifices. Okay, old Betsy, get her out of the barn. We're going to slay her and make a sacrifice. No, you're not going to do that because there's more to be said in there than that. So all of that's important, and I think we did that. So we have a couple minutes. Next thing I want to help you to do is properly interpreting a passage of Scripture. So we talked about determining God's will from the scripture. Like you got an issue and you want to know 
What's God's answer? What do I do if I just have a passage of scripture and I don't understand it so well? What do I do with that? How do I, do, how do I interpret a passage of scripture? Three points. Hopefully write these down. We can revisit them a little bit next week. Number one, find out what does it really say? Everyone say, what does it really say? In order, before you do anything else with it, before you think, whoa, I don't agree with that. First of all, it isn't really important that we agree with God. He's right. So, okay. But, but before you run off to think, well, we got we to gotta change things. I just read that. Find out what does it really say? Number one. Number two. What does it really mean? What does it really mean? And lastly, how do I apply it? We'll stop and we read it, consider about three seconds, and okay, I'll do this. What does it really say? What does it really mean? How do I apply it? I'm going to give you another quick example. This is one of my favorites just because I think the wording is well-hidden, and beautiful if you dig it out. It's the story of Luke chapter 22. It's the story of Peter and the night of the Last Supper. Probably the worst night of Peter's life. He's at the Last Supper with Jesus, and Jesus is troubled, serious, and he goes to his disciples, all of you will forsake me tonight. You're all going to go your own way. Peter, who always was the one speaking up, not me, Lord. Maybe these other guys will. Not me. I'll die with you. Really, Peter? Here's what he said. Verse 31. Simon, Simon, behold, Satan has desired or demanded to have you that he might sift you like wheat. That was in response to not me, Lord. I'll die with you. But I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. Simon, Simon. That's your mom or dad going, Paul, Paul. That serious look. We know that that's the night that Peter denied that he knew the Lord three times. Hopeless denial. For the Jews to speak something three times meant the matter was settled. Can't be, can't be changed. Three times. I don't know who he is. Peter denied him. So how do we apply this? I know what it really says. Simon, Simon, Satan demanded to have. That's one Greek word, demanded to have. There's, if you read the description, and I'll tell you where to find these things, you read the description or the meaning of that word, demanded to have, it has one word at the end of it, which makes all the sense in the world. Back. Put back on the end of that. Satan has demanded to have you back. We use the same word to repossess a car that somebody hasn't paid for. The bank wants it back. You had it on loan. You're not making your payments, boy. We're going to come and get it. Jesus said, Satan is coming to God saying that Peter's not all in and I want him back. 
That sheds some light on the night, doesn't it? I want him back. I had him. He says he's yours. I'm not sure he is. I don't think he's made his payments. I want him back. Scary. I have prayed for you. There's lots of New Testament words for prayer. There's a prayer of thanksgiving. Thank you, Lord, for this food. Thank you for this day. Thank you for my friends. Thank you for the freedom of our country. There's a prayer of intercession. Lord, I'm praying for so-and-so. They need you so badly, and they seem to be fighting against you. I just pray. That's a prayer of intercession. This is a prayer that is a near demand. It's an essential prayer. The word means, I have prayed for you. This is what it means. I have told my father that I cannot do what I need to do without Peter. I have to have him. Have to have it. Not living without Peter. Absolutely not. Can't have him back. I can't do my mission without Peter, and you're not having him, Satan. I have prayed for you. Does that inspire? Does that... Satan wants you back. He doesn't think you're all in. He is, you've not made your payments, and he's going to come and repossess your car tonight. But don't worry, Peter. I've talked to Father about this, and I told Father that I am not willing to do my mission without Peter. Whatever you got to do, Father, I need Peter. I want him. Foreseeing the answer to the prayer, Jesus said, the day's going to come. You're going to be restored. Yes, he denied him three times. You remember. Aren't you one of his disciples? No, not me. No, we don't know what you're talking about. I know you're one of his Galilean speech. It would be like an accent. You know, somebody from Mississippi comes up here. Are you from the South? You don't have to ask. You know. <laughs> you're a Galilean. You're one of his disciples. I said I am not. And finally, curse and swear. Let Jesus be and use whatever words you want. I don't know who he is. And the rooster crows, and he goes, three times. After Resurrection Sunday, Peter also goes fishing. Here's what he said. I'm going fishing, boys. Want to come? He's not going fishing because the walleyes are biting. Again, what does it say? I'm going back to fishing. I'm returning to my old trade. There's no hope for me. Going back fishing, boys. We'll go with you. And they're fishing. You remember Peter's first calling? Jesus is on the shore of Galilee and said, Hey, whose boat? Mine and Andrew's. Can I use it? Sure. Teach us from the boat. Hey, now that we're done teaching, go out there and let out for a catch. <laughs> We've been out here all night. Okay, you're the master. Miracle catch a fish, remember? Peter comes up, falls on his face, and goes, Depart from me, Lord, I'm a sinful man. Peter said, Jesus said, Don't be afraid, Peter. From now on, you're going to fish for people. Remember that? That was his calling. I will make you a fisher of men. Now Peter blew it all. And he's out fishing for business again, ready to give up. There's a stranger on shore. And he's got a campfire, and he's cooked some fish for breakfast. Boys! The language is very casual. Any luck? Got anything? No, we've been fishing all night. Nothing. Try on the other side of the boat. Threw it over. Instant. 
net full of fish. What do you think is going through Peter's heart? It's the Lord, John says. Peter throws off his outer cloak, jumps in the water. Maybe there's hope for me. Maybe there's a chance. And he gets there, and Jesus meets him. What does he say? How many times? Peter, do you love me? How many times did he say it? Three. Why? Because three times he denied him. That settles the fact with Jewish people. He wanted to give him three more chances to get back in. All in answer to that scripture in Luke, Luke that we just read, I have prayed for you. After you are restored, strengthen your brothers. 49 days later on the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit falls. Tongues of fire, speaking in languages they didn't know. Thousands of people gathered to wonder what was happening. Who stands up to give the answer? The man who cursed and swore that he never knew him. He stood up, and you know what it says? In credit to his friends, the other apostles stood with him. We'll stand with Peter. We're all sinners. He has as much right to speak as any of us do. So there's an example. Find out what it really means and what it really says and I have some helps for you, and we'll close with it. <clears throat> what can you do? How do you find out? Here are some resources. I asked a lot of people what they like best, resources that you could get on your phone, your computer, or just use. It's a great app called the Blue Letter Bible. How many of you use the Blue Letter Bible already? Just a handful. Blue Letter Bible. How do you know all these Greek words, Pastor? Well, I studied a lot, but you can cheat and just go to the Blue Letter Bible. <laughs> And you can read Luke 2.20. You can find any passage of scripture. It'll give you the English word, the Greek word, and it'll tell you what it means. Just don't read the first meaning. There's usually three or four definitions of that word. Read them all. Blue Letter Bible. Keyword Study Bible. I have one of those. That's my favorite. I like old books, and this is the same thing. You go through, there's little letters by all those words in the Bible. Go to the back of your Bible, look them up. It'll tell you the word in Greek or Hebrew and what it means. You can even Google it. It'll, you'll find Greek and Hebrew words in Google. And it doesn't hurt you to ask your pastors if you get stuck on something. Nothing makes me happier than asking people's Bible questions. People say, oh, you don't have time for that. I love answering Bible questions. So, um, so those are some things for you tonight. Why don't we stand up together? It's 8 o'clock. And uh, hopefully this is a helpful session to help you Grow in learning to be better with God's word. Lord, we pray that you bless this time, bless these people, and make them a blessing to everyone. In Jesus' name. And we said, amen. amen. God bless you. You may be dismissed. Thanks for listening to the Faith Christian Church podcast. Again, make sure to follow us at Faith Christian Church on Instagram or find us on Facebook. Again, God bless and have a wonderful rest of your day.